off with the bonus barrel. Sean and Seiji. Look at that. What? Look at this group. A left twice in a row. BBQ crew is going to be very happy. Sean, you run a wildly popular uh, podcast known as Game Buzz. That's correct. Yes. I am woefully unprepared this week. What's give us give us a, some a little bit of buzz that we like do some show synergy. Uh, what what's what's crazy? Give us <laughs> give me like a highlights version of uh, what you talked about, so that I can use that as content for my show. That makes sense. Um, so Pokemon News, Game Freak has uh, identified the names of some of the people who leaked information prior to the game's release. They've yeah. gotten their either their Discord IDs or their Twitch IDs. I'm not sure which. Damn. Uh, and they are now subpoenaing to subpoenaing or subpoena. Suing. I'm not sure. But yeah. They're checking with their lawyers to get the actual uh, names of the people tied to those accounts released to them so that they can sue them uh for damages because of the leak huh how do you feel about big companies which of course uh have money to spare but also money to lose and uh, individuals i don't know how these people would have got that information so maybe we can discuss that too but not talk about the specific people involved or anything but about them going after not ex-employees but just some random schlub who maybe heard from someone who then decided to blab about it? Like, what do you think about them going after them? You think it's you're all for it, or I supp- I couldn't possibly be more supportive of it. Yeah, I kind of think it would be. What about you, Left? <laughs> like, imagine it's just some like fucking fifteen year old punk ass kid. Like, I wouldn't want that kid to like go to jail or his family to be fucked because of of that. But I mean, I it certainly depends how they got their content. I think context is important for something like that. You know. Yeah. If- if it, like I, uh, a former employee leaking it, it's pretty pretty bad. Um, is, you yeah. you should you should contracts know better. Yeah, you should certainly know better than that. Um, I, if some, I don't know how some fifteen year old kid would have got his hands on it. The dark web and innovative means. <laughs> no, but you know it, it certainly depends on the context. I don't think I don't know that kind of stuff. But harshly, I don't know. It really depends on the degree. The person, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, what about you, Sage? What's your, let's, let's get some Sage. I think that companies are, I guess, entitled to try to defend whatever they think it's against their interests. So in that sense, you know, it's fine. But to me, it always feels very petty. I don't like it. Yeah, especially yeah. when they're making such a big fuss about it. And it's like, what are they really doing, right? There's huge demand for this kind of thing. It's like pictures of celebrities, right? It's Paparazzi. Like, yeah, I understand that. That they cause a lot of disturbances to celebrities. And, and I feel for them as, as celebrities. But there's huge demand for it, right? So even if if they capture, you know, these two guys, it's going to happen again because of the demand for it. It's the same as for illegal drugs and stuff like that. I also so another interesting question is like this they don't have the people's actual name they're trying to get it from a third a third party like in this case twitch or discord but don't don't they owe a I I know technically 
I guess with law enforcement, they, they can get that information. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't know if I like being, if a, if a company can be like, hey, I want to know who that user is. I want all, I want you to dox them and uh, come after, so I can go after them. I don't know. It's weird. Because at the same time, like, yeah, you don't want your shit leaked. But like, what if a press chooses to report on that stuff? I don't know. This is getting political. <laughs> it's like, a, like but they you, do. They, yeah. Right. Because everybody wants attention. Everybody wants the clicks. Everybody wants that. So, are they going to go after them too? Or are they going to go after IGN, for example? They're not going to take down that information. It's already public, right? Yeah. So I understand. So that's why I started my my opinion with like I understand what they're doing. They're right. they're right to do it. It just feels wrong. Yeah, it's, it is actually a bit a bit uh, strange. I don't know. I, I mean, they, they, I guess to Sean's earlier point, I mean, they have the right to do that. It is their property being leaked, and there is some damages. But I just feel a little like I think it's something like Nintendo going after an individual to kill so unless it was an ex employee. I don't think it needs to be an ex-employee. I think anybody, if you're, I, yeah. Anyway, go for it, Sean. Tell it. It's okay to disagree. I will. Allow uh, it. I no. I I just I think uh, people are really shitty, um, <laughs> especially it seems in modern day, and they think they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. And this individual, whoever they are, went out of their way to uh, either data mine or. Uh, they had a copy of a thing that they were given. I don't know how they got the leaking the information to leak it. I have no idea. Um, I that shit. But they went out of their way to do this to, um, to share this information. And uh, I think that the company is absolutely within their rights to go after them. And I hope they sue them. And I hope they fucking ruin their lives because <laughs> people, people just they think they can do whatever they want they think there's no consequences for whatever i do or say because the world has to bow to me because i'm super special well you're not you're garbage uh and i i don't i can't stand leak leaks and people who who do stuff like that i don't i got no uh time for them so i hope pokemon hammers them into the ground from the point of view of the company i understand what you're saying like yes it is their right and stuff but let's say you take down right now you have the magic power to capture all the leakers in the world, put them in jail, ruin their lives or whatever, right? That does it's right. not gonna fix the problem. The demand's gonna be there and somebody else is gonna do it. So that that's that's also, what I'm saying. Like I, I don't think it, it it's at a personal level here. But I mean at that under that rationale, should we then not jail anybody for doing something illegal? Because it, it's not going to stop it, the people will still do it. If you if you go and buy a bag of cocaine right now and and I you know what I mean like if I was to bust a drug, if a drug dealer gets busted for selling drugs, he goes to jail. It's not going to stop people from buying drugs, and it's not going to stop drugs from being sold. The thing is, like, what, what are you trying to fix here? Like, are you trying to fix the problem of leaking, right? Because that's not going to be fixed, right? No, I want, I want, puni- I want punishment for those who have done it. I don't want, I, I don't expect to fix the problem because people are still going to be scummy, and I want every time they're scummy for the company that they have done it to to destroy them. I don't because eventually someone... that will be a deterrent. I don't agree at all. It's not a deterrent. As long as as, as there's money on something, people are going to go for it. As long, okay, I, I, this is actually a very interesting conversation. But like, I don't want someone's life ruined for leaking video game footage. That's that's too extreme. Like, yeah, a punishment, a fine, a ban, uh, all those things I, I I understand. But like to go to jail just because they fucking show Pokemon a week early and didn't like it that that's too that's too harsh. I don't I'm not I don't like that. It's a gateway leak. 
gateway. <laughs> and I, I should make the, the differentiation. If you are someone that has access to something, right? Like an ex-employee, and then you start circulating this kind of information. I believe that is a very different case. But people that are leakers online, I don't know, to go for them. And, 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 and you know, usually what happens is that it makes a bigger deal than what initially was. Like, probably... If something gets leaked, a very few select people are going to notice it. But then you start getting this news about, oh, so-and-so company is going after such and such. And then you go and look to see what they actually leaked. You know what I mean? So they, they make this this big fuss about it. And I don't think it's worth it. Fascinating. Yeah, I'm 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 largely with leading towards Seiji. But, uh, you know, I think a ban, cease and desist. Uh, those are all uh, very fine. Uh, a finger wag are all acceptable responses. No, but final thing, like I don't think they they're wrong. Companies are not wrong doing this if they want to, you know, go for them and stuff. That's their right. I don't think they're wrong. It's just I don't know what what are you trying to fix. This is what the, the question I pose. And if it's just like punishment and make them an example, you know, fine. But it's gonna happen again. I don't know who leaked this. I don't really, I don't care to be honest. Uh, but if it did happen to be someone underage who got this information through whatever source, and then their parents are responsible for the damages and shit, like that's that would be it's not. So this is a quote from the lawyers. Okay, cool. Uh, because the 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 initial leaked images they found were um, photos posted photos from the official Sword and Shield strategy guide. And they were posted on Discord. They've identified three people. Um, they don't have their actual names yet. They are uh, asking Discord to release that information. And the quote is, only production facility employees with proper security clearance have access to the strategy guide during the production process. Those with permission to access these secured areas are not permitted to bring in their cell phones or cameras. Mm. So somebody did. Okay. So they All should right. lose their job. They should lose. I, I could, that is fair. Losing their job is fair. Getting sued is a little stream over a strategy guide but they should absolutely not have access to that shit anymore like they, they broke their the, the rules uh, okay interesting pokemon That's company is seeking compensatory damages for the leakers wrongful conduct as well as monetary relief punitive and exemplary damages and injunction relief but it needs to get their names first well that's very interesting uh, i mean is i guess it's really not that different than well it's just it just makes you think of people who've been streaming movies for like the last what 20 years yeah, they're criminals. Yeah. And you've never watched a streamed movie? <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh, well. Okay. We're, not all, not we're, not all, we're not all saints. I still pay for music, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you never downloaded an MP3 in your entire life? I, uh, I did in high school twice, yeah, and then I said I should, I should buy these. Wow. You have a strong moral compass. Uh, I just realized because... I just realized that some people work really hard on their art and that it's not right to steal it from them. There you go. It's beautiful. Don't <laughs> steal from people. So I, never, I just <laughs> you never use YouTube to listen to like a game soundtrack or anything, right? Uh, is that stealing? I mean, it's streaming it's on... somebody if uploading. It, a bunch yeah, but of if, it, if it's if it's on YouTube, is it not uh, subject to copyright law? Because they shut know, everything people, else down. People definitely throw up soundtracks and shit to the music they have not made oh I, I assumed if it was on youtube that it passed their ridiculously stringent copyright I laws i think so i do i do know that like because people will upload shit 
like there's there's channels that's just nintendo music and i know nintendo doesn't put their own shit up it's a big complaint that everyone has it's like hey i'd like to pay for your music but you won't put it up anywhere oh uh, well i guess in that case then i may have possibly you son uh, of a unwittingly bitch. you piece of shit yeah <laughs> I, i'm not denying that <laughs> um i i yeah i i don't know i no, we no, live in a day. We, I think we live in a society where the individual thinks that their rights are more important than the rights of the whole, and I don't agree with that. I mean, you are also military, so it makes sense that you have. <laughs> that is one of the major reasons I enlisted. Yes. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. I, I respect that. Uh, all right, that was all the stuff I talked about. You guys, have anything else to, to add before we get to more questions? Yeah. yeah. By all means. So I actually started playing a game that we talked about. I was trying to figure out exactly what episode of Bonus Barrel, but it was like a really old episode of Bonus Barrel. So and I and I recently started playing it. I thought it was good. Um, it was like a Project Pemoth game called Pit People. I don't think it was called Pit People when we were talking about it because it was like super early, and because it's 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 made by uh, the guys who made like Castle Crashers, the like the grounds. Yeah, yeah. Going with the giant bear in space. Yeah, that. it did. Yeah, yeah, that exact one. Yeah, you remember it. Crashes into the planet and it's he doesn't he didn't crash into the planet. He's more or less like floating above the planet and okay. he's kind of like the narrator to the game as well. And but he bleeds on the planet. I don't I don't quite get it, but it's like really ridiculous game. Well, um, tell me about it. I want to know more about this thing. I never got Yeah. Like, it's like it's it's really cool. So it's it's just like kind of like a tactics game where you have like a hub and you you know it's a little like Fire Emblemy kind of thing how it plays mm-hmm. obviously right and like you're recruiting different people and you can customize how their gear and stuff like that. So I've I've been really liking it. Like you go to your hub and then you explore the world and then after you explore the world like a certain amount of times the big bear moves the city to a different place so the the landscape always changes on you. Um. um yeah, it's a really good game. Um, it's super quirky and it has a lot of charm. Like, so one of my my favorite as- things that happened in in the story part of the game was you need to go to space, and one of your buddies is like, "I have a friend who can get us there." So you arrive at this area that's like on like a bla- lake of blood, and then you get into a ship battle on the blood after you defeat all the opponents. You your main character is like, "Hey, so where's your buddy who's going to help us get to space?" And he's like, oh, he's like in the lake. And like, okay, so this creature comes out of the lake, has all these tentacles, and starts attacking the ship that you're on. And like, whoa, whoa, that's your friend? And he's like, no, 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 my friend is the monster's uvula. Um, we're like, oh, okay. So then you meet the uvula, who's, you know, a talking uvula, and he doesn't want to come with us. So we then have to destroy or beat up the uvula. And then one of the characters eat the uvula, and now it's his uvula, and now he can see places that allows us to go into space. It is very, very absurd video, but is I've been really uvula... like it's like that little hang that hanging. Yeah, I know it is. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Is it just a walking one, like a, a hopping one, or is it no, a... no? It was it was attached to the creature, and then he bit it off, and now it's attached to to him. Oh, wow, that's insane. Yeah, it's a very, very weird game. All right. Up next, topic.
and we're also back to answer the rest of the questions that we neglected to answer last time with one less person here but but you had two artists so you could fit you could stand to lose one fine yeah um and the the next questions aren't necessarily uh art like there's none that are like art focused so uh we're good there's just one question the final question from derek will have to decide uh shelby's answer for her which i'm sure we'll do i can speak for shelby pretty easily okay cool um so yeah this is uh, the second episode of a two-part uh ask the creators uh symposium where we uh get to dig into the minds of four of the uh most well-liked uh game developers on twitter oh yeah and (laughs) i mean in in my twitter feed you are (laughs) it helps that we don't Uh, say anything ever yeah that's part of the ways that i one of the reasons i like you so much uh a quiet feed is a happy feed yeah uh, so the next three questions are all from bard Snugglebug, and they come from the cartridge club discord so we're going to start with the first one uh and i'm going to kick it to seiji to answer answer first and we'll roll from him into left um where left is getting uh i think more into the design and qa aspect because uh, i think rob you're probably very early on in the design phase with the concept sure art. i can't yeah. imagine there's a ton of that you know at the end but we'll find out uh so yeah. he wants to know what are the hurdles and seeing a mobile title go to market and gain a favorable position. How does it impact developers in ways of stress? Um, and uh, how does it uh, impact developers in ways of stress and so forth to see a little release, uh, see a title release? And then what does it feel like when a title releases and was it stressful or not? So, Sage, we'll start with you. Uh, what are some, what are the biggest hurdles you have when you are, are about to launch a game? What are the, what are your big concerns? Well, it depends, right? So the way I interpreted this, and, and this is why I like you reading this because you make some assumptions that my mind wouldn't go to. The biggest hurdle for the, for the title itself, once it go when it's going out to to market, is user acquisition. Yeah, that means you know bringing people into your game, into your environment. That is the most difficult. Um, UA, I think, in a way, is more difficult than developing a game because there is a constant let's say war out there for people's attention right and 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 people don't pay attention to just about anything right they they only pay attention to whatever is sort of familiar to them franchises stuff that people already know right so when you you have a new game and you want people to play it you have to spend a lot of money and a lot of effort to bring people to your game. So uh, I'd say that is the most important thing, the most difficult thing, um, and the most expensive thing also. Uh, And it's not game development itself. Um, So when you're in the late phases of development, um, when everybody is concerned is finishing their task, seeing that all the bugs, bugs, or at, at the very least, the highest priority bugs are fixed, and, you know, getting when you finally decide this is it this is the the release candidate and you're like oh there's so many bucks still to to do to fix and um but you compromise and you go out there and you keep working so from a development point of view on a live game like the ones that i've been in development it doesn't change too much but there is this constant checking DAUs, like you know, normal metrics, like how many people are playing the game, if if they return to the game, and you know, if the, the game's making any 
money, I guess, stuff like that. I don't know if that answers the question. No, that definitely does, um, 100%. Because uh, I don't think people consider that one of the hurdles in game development would be actually getting the game in the hands of people. You know, uh, you would think it's debugging or uh, design or something else. Not, not the actual, Hey, I got to get people to, once the game is made, I need to find people to play this. Um, so it sounds like a strong marketing team would be a major asset for a studio. Uh, Lef, have you had any experience um, like with games that you've worked on? How, how much emphasis is put on, on marketing that game once it's out the door or before it's about to launch. Yeah, and like it's it's hard to expand a lot on, on what Sage just said because I, I agree with him completely. Like user acquisition is probably one of the spookiest things that you can you know that during a game and whenever it gets out because especially with a mobile title too. So you know, I'm not going to expand a lot on what Sage said. I'm just going to tackle this. I'm going to talk about a little bit different thing here, but he, he's totally right, and I agree with him a hundred percent. Um, but especially with a mobile game, so mobile games have this really kind of this reputation of, you know, if you can't get into this mobile game within probably 10 minutes, you're, you're going to delete it because they're, they're so quick to download. So if your game doesn't have a very good, you know, initial user experience, you're going to have a really quick drop rate of people uninstalling that game. So it can be a really scary thing, especially with a, with a mobile game where, you know, more than likely it's free and then, you know, you're making your money through microtransactions or, or whatever, subscriptions, whatever you do. But since the initial download is free, you know, people don't have a lot of investment in it. So they're quick to uninstall it if they don't get, you know, some sort of reward out of that game on a very, very quick basis. So you need to have a very solid beginning to your game so that people will be continually coming back to it. Um, and, and that's a very tricky thing to work out. But it's all just about that, getting those users to play the game and to get them to stick around for, you know, a length of time so you can kind of, you know, get, get what you need out of it. So it, it's, a, it's probably one of the scariest things because, you know, whenever the game's in development, you're having fun time brainstorming everything, getting the work done. And then when it gets out there, sometimes things happen that you will never have anticipated, right? So That explains to me why the first 10 minutes of all my games are always the most fun, by the way. um how much value would there be in uh, an apple arcade or an xbox game pass model where the the push to get it into users hands like they're i imagine they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting on those wherein you can play the games uh, and you just subscribe to them i'm just wondering because they they market pretty heavily and outside of like commercials how do you guys how do people hear about your games how do they know where where do you advertise your game? Like the Steam store has like something like four hundred thousand games on it. How do you how do you get a user to go try this game instead of this game? Yeah. Know. Yeah. I'm I'm yeah. That's that's what? a marketing thing and none of us are marketers. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, all right, good point, good point. Usually there's there's companies that you hire and they, they specialize, they're really large companies, and that's all they do. Um they they try to get you users right so if you have enough budget and you want you know fifty thousand users every day then you sp- you have to spend the money right so it's not it's not just about making the game and having all these features that are there to increase engagement and retention like that once the player is is in your system then it's your responsibility right it depends on you right you see that a bunch of players are hitting like the five minute mark and they go away and, and never return then there's something wrong in your first five minutes of your game. Yet 
that you need to fix, right? yeah, that you need to change or something, right? Um, but well, what you're talking about is like, usually um, you have this budget and you design a marketing strategy with some external company. And usually what they do is they use a lot of social media. And this is where it gets really tricky, right? Because we don't know much about these kinds of things, as, as Lev mentioned. But what I do know is like when you go to Facebook or when you go to Instagram or Twitter, or whatever, and you're scrolling through your feed and all of, all of a sudden you see ads for games, those spaces are really valuable. And that is why it's so expensive because you only see those once in a while, right? And the companies that push for these ads have to decide like, do you have the right profile, right? So that you might play a racing game or a town builder game or whatever, a match three game, right? So they'll, they'll put that ad in front of you. That's usually how it works. And I'm not sure like people are like disillusioned by Twitch or anything, but, but Twitch is, is a marketing tool for game development. Like when, when Sage was talking about how a lot of people, like we talked to get these marketing companies to kind of do things, you know, that's what Twitch streamers do for a lot of game devs. Like when a new game comes out, they get paid them. We talk to the marketing company, the marketing company has their Twitch employees essentially as contractors. And then it's like, Hey, you need to play X amount of hours on this game. Um, and then that's what they'll do. So, you know, people, so a lot of Twitch people, you know, they are playing games from a marketing company who's paying them to play those games. Um, so that's a very common thing as well. So, you know, a lot of Twitch players just aren't playing games they want to play sometimes. They're playing games that, you know, they're being played to market. To I never considered the fact that that would happen at a lower level. I mean, I know obviously the top tier, you know, Ninja, Shroud, those guys, uh, that they do that. But I never considered that it would be happening at a lower level. Oh, it absolutely um, does. It absolutely yeah. Yeah, because it, there's also levels, right? You have your big time streamers, and then you have a bunch of like, are you you've never heard of them, but they still have thousands of followers. So all of them get used, you know, to to push ads. Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, both of you mentioned now um, for a live game, um, making sure that your uh, your intro is good or whatever, or, or being able to track when people are quitting and finding out what's wrong. Because it, it sounds like. It it seems as if when a game goes live, when it launches, um, and if it's a if it's a live game, uh, like most like a lot of mobile games are, um, it seems like it, there's not an actual break in the work at all. Like the work might get busier. <laughs> so you launch a game, and instead of like when when I think oh that you know when you hear uh, such and such a game goes gold, you think oh they're all partying and having champagne. They're they're off for a week, but they 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 might be and then the day that it launches they're right back to the grind because it's about to get much busier depends on the game if it's a non live game you're probably done with it done with that game weeks or even months like for example artists will probably be the ones that are not working on the game anymore because they're they they they're very precious assets so in within within uh, studios, so they need to use them all the time for different kinds of projects. Unless they don't have a project, then then they're contractors or whatever. Um, but in our in, in the case of live games, I mean, one day goes live and you're you're working, you're still working, you're you're working harder, if anything. But it depends on the game for sure. So would were artists leave a game first? so to speak, working on it, are they 
also the first to start on the next game? Like Rob as no. a concept artist, do they no, they don't come to him and say, Hey, while they're finishing up this, this is what we're looking at next. Do you just start working on it? That doesn't happen. No, the people that, that work first on games are executives. Oh, okay. Right, right. I, I don't I mean, yeah, there's truth to that, but there is like ideation teams sometimes that will do prototypes and stuff that could turn into like a full fledged game. Yeah, it depends on the company, game. for sure. But in that case, it's a small team of usually a designer, an artist, programmer, pretty much one of, well, not one of each, because you don't need like a producer and all that crap, but you get a few people who might be working on like prototypes and stuff, which, yeah, could be greenlit. Yeah, depends on the company, but, depends on the game, yeah. depends on yeah, exactly. the size of the team. Sometimes you don't have a, a budget for an ideation team. Yeah, you, that's, that's yeah, very true. You need to be like a, a pretty large company to, to afford that kind of thing. What what are games called that aren't live games? Do we just call them games? Because I, I didn't I didn't know the term live game well, I until I heard you say it. But like, what would you call a game that's not live? Like a live service game is just one that's continuously being supported and getting updates and, sh and bringing money, right? Like that's not much. Anthem would be a live game or a live service game. What would you call Mass Effect? An RPG. Where it's just, you just Constantly. call it an RPG. Well, <laughs> All right, you guys are killing I don't, me. I don't, I, like, I, but honestly, I just—I think live service is, is game is default, and a live service game is the exception. So, you know, you just have games, and then it's genre. I mean, it's not fully its genre, but it's kind of a subgenre of uh, it's live service. Limited. Yeah, the the whole like live services term being thrown around here is that like after a game goes live, you know, when you're continuing to support that game, um, that's kind of what we mean by by live services. You know, you know, Mass Effect. Okay. Three doesn't have any support anymore. Oh. It's not like a live service game. I think yeah. I think is what we're trying to get across. It, in my experience, it's often been referred to as shipped games. Yeah, yeah. That that maybe that's uh, reasonable. Yeah, Mass Effect would be a shipped, game, I suppose. I, I've heard that used by like executives and shipped, but I don't yeah. know. Like it's not like necessarily used by everyone. Okay. Which which style do you prefer working on? Which is more. I don't want to say rewarding because I'm sure they both are, but would you rather work on a game that is you're constantly working on for years at a time after yeah. launch or, or, would, you, <laughs> or would, you, would you rather fire and forget, you know, I don't want to fire I mean, anybody. I'd rather start a new game. <laughs> that's not, I don't, that's, oh, sorry. <laughs> fire, fire the game forget. off. Yeah. yeah I, I'd rather just it. keep working on new games myself, but so you would rather, you don't, you would prefer to not be on a, on a live service style game. No, I mean, I wouldn't mind being on it at the beginning just to get it going, but I, don't, I wouldn't want to keep updating. And I have worked on live service games, and I, yeah. right. What about you, Left? Uh, I don't know. The thing about live service games that I I do kind of enjoy working on because you kind of see them go live, and then when you work on it, and then it's there's I don't know. I really like when a game when you when content you're working on, whether it's just you know DLC for a game or or the game itself. Like whenever it goes out, it's it's a really fun feeling. Um, and with live services, you kind of get that feeling a lot. Uh, so something about live services that I actually like, it goes my belly. I like it. All right. So we have one for uh, games and one for live service games. Sage, I guess you're going to be the tiebreaker. Which uh, which do you prefer? This will determine which is considered the best. In <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very different. It's, it's like the types of things that you can do with non-live games are are very different from live games when, when you're thinking about a live game you're, you're thinking about um designing a, an environment right in which people are constantly being engaged and they're expecting for a new feature and you're you're keeping them in a loop and and trying to 
to keep those loops fresh and interesting. And there are only like certain kinds of genres that work really well. Like you wouldn't do something very narrative based for a live game because it would be too difficult, too hard to maintain, right? So as a career, for me, like I gotten used to it, I learned to love it. So I, I, I like working on, on live games. But perhaps if I did a game by myself, for example, I would do for sure a non-live game because I don't have yeah. the infrastructure to do it. You need a lot of people, a lot of a lot of money. But if you, what if I wanted to do like a puzzle game or a platformer? I would do it by myself, and I would it will be <laughs> like it will be non-live. You know, it, it would also be two D because I don't really uh, have the expertise or the resources to do a, like a three D game, for example. Okay. Uh, the next question comes from okay. BBQ Crew. Um, oh, good guy. And so he wants to know, and this I imagine this question is probably going to not have a single answer. Um, but uh, <laughs> he wants to know, who is the most important member of the game development team? And then he says, it has to be the concept artist, right? Correct. Uh, and then in all seriousness, from concept to finished product, what is the most tedious part of your day-to-day justice? So that's the second question. Um, and then the third question is, we'll start with this third question. What percentage of the staff have beards? So <laughs> <laughs> we'll say at each of your studios, if you could ballpark, uh, cause you work at three different studios, if you could ballpark, what percentage of the staff have beards? 80%. 80, 80%. No, it's oh probably more like, more like 60 to 70 where I'm at. I think just wow. a lot of beards. <laughs> maybe, no, maybe 50% actually. I thought there was maybe was more, but yeah, no, maybe about 50% beards. Left for men. yourself, you you don't have a beard, do you, Lef? Oh, I do. Absolutely, do I have a beard? It's gotten out new? of control. Is... I no, it's. Picture. Oh no, no. I've I've had a beard for a number of years now, and I've grown to absolutely despise shaving. So it's been just yeah, pretty... it's, it's out of control right now. To be honest, <laughs> it is. Yeah, I need to do something about it. Um, but like like my studio, there's like what four girls that work there too so they're out of the, the beard competition um but like out of the guys that work there it's got to be at least you know slightly over 50 probably around 60 percent sounds right wow people love beards. uh and what about you uh west coast game uh, developers <laughs> are they bearded or not bearded they're hipsters man they mustaches probably um i actually counted so i have exact numbers <laughs> <laughs> why am i not surprised so uh, I counted, and it was twenty seven point zero eight percent from the total. If you just count men, it was thirty two point ninety one percent. CG never change, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're gonna address BBQ Crew's first question, uh, and I just want to say I love his Discord avatar. It's uh, um, the old Creed, dude from uh, Creed, yeah, Creed from yeah. Uh, the, the office. office. He wants to know. Who is the most important member of the game development team? And Rob, I want you to answer this first because I think you will be honest. Concept artist. All you right. can't have a beautiful game <laughs> without the unbridled imagination of a creative artist who's painting worlds, populating it with all the beautiful things that you'll see. I would say nothing. You can make a game just on concept. Nothing else. One of, my, 
one of my favorite games uh, is a game recommended by Bonus Barrel called Thomas Was Alone. Would you say the most important part of that team was the concept artist? Well, the reason why that game sucks is because the concept artist <laughs> the game couldn't, couldn't draw any characters, so he just had to stick with some shapes. No, in all honesty, and I think uh, programming. Mike Bethel listens to this show, so don't tell him. Really? Yeah, he doesn't. Get out of here. Yeah. No, what? Anyway. <laughs> he does not. No, okay. no real no real people listen to our show. <laughs> he may have listened to his one episode, but there's no way he listens to all anyways. Uh um I I, I honestly always thought that uh pro you can't you can't have a game without programming. Uh so programmers are the most important, even though I think artists What about uh what about you left? Who do you think that is the most important? I don't know. Like I, I'm I've been thinking about that and like everyone's really important like you know one role can't really exist without the other um and i don't want to steal sagey's thunder because he obviously has a really good um, post linked to this question that i agree with so i'm just gonna let see that all right sagey uh why don't you tell us why it is that uh that you are the most important part of the game team (laughs) (laughs) no so I have a very, like, non-specific answer um, because it's complicated to to answer. It depends how again. It depends on the kinds the kind of project you're working on. It depends on the the size of the team. Back to Rob's point, like, if you had to go with the smallest team possible to make a game, so which is it would be one person, right? Yeah, it would have to be yes. a programmer. Why? Yeah, because games are software. Right, that's that's the thing. Like, game is software, so you need people that that build that software. In that sense, it is they're the most important because those are the ones who build the actual game. But um, you could have great artists and have you know very beautiful art. You could have a great QA team to make sure that that the the end product is up to the quality standards. Um, all of those things are, are are skills within within. You can have super coders and you know have a very responsive, uh, super optimized game. But I, I wanna before I, I I continue with with my my rant here. Um, I was I was looking at Derek Yu's uh, Twitter the other day. He is the developer for uh, Spelunky and Aquaria and stuff like that. And something that I, I found very interesting about something that he's saying is something that I think that a lot of people might not consider when making a game. So I'm going to read it because I think he said it very well. And he says that being good at game design, art, and coding, right, is, is, it's good, but there's much more than that. There's also risk assessment, there's time management, there's understanding one's limitations. So you have to develop a sense of when it's appropriate to go all in and how to do that. That is super important in a project. You can't always be rushing. You can always be, you know, relaxed. You have to control these kinds of things because game development is a long process. Sometimes maybe for... This is where I where I see art being very, um, I guess, satisfying because they, they, they see what they're doing and, and you can see that progression um, live. It, it, I think that a, day, a good day's worth of work results in something tangible whether the rest of the game there might be days weeks where 
it doesn't really seems like it's moving, right? Um, in that sense, one thing that I've I've always been very convinced of is that a, a, you need a good producer. Producers are the ones in charge of the schedule, of the asset allocation, of deadlines, and you know all of these kinds of things. That if you are someone on the floor and you just are able to focus on that and have someone else manage all that complexity is super important. So I think that, you know, in, in, in this sense that I'm talking about, the producer would be the most important because without a good producer, your team just falls apart. You don't reach deadlines. People are super stressed all the time. There's no good communication. Uh, the team doesn't gel together stuff like that. If you have a good producer and you achieve all these things and you have good elements in each each of the disciplines, everything's going to run smoothly. This is really important game development because I have years of experience, right? So uh, it really sucks when you just are not comfortable working because once you get to a certain level of skill, you know you can do the thing, but then the project doesn't work and it sucks. And I hate that. I hate that feeling of like, we have a great team and the project just is not working. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, and I I think that's probably why we see such a trend of when you think of uh, game industry uh, personalities, we probably know more producers' names than individual programmers or artists. You know what I mean? We know like the, the, the major of those, the big, mm -hmm. big ones. But when you think of you know, when when somebody announces Mass Effect is working on a new game, the first thing they tell you is Casey Hudson is producing it, you know, uh, or um, up until he left the company, Ben Irving is working on it. You know, you don't hear these are the guys programming it or even recognize the names of the guys programming on it. You recognize that producer's name. And it's I think it's yeah, you I, I, I could see that for sure. The ability to manage time and personnel and assets and put it all to get in, in a package together is a, a massive skill um that outside of game development companies spend thousands of dollars a year on developing in their in their employees but back to left's point like i feel like if you don't have good people in every you know discipline it, it's still gonna fall apart doesn't matter how good your producer is doesn't matter how good your coders are if 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 it's not even if if you can't rely on every discipline especially like on larger projects it doesn't work like and I think it's I think it's important to 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 say it maybe to people that are not involved in game development. But at the same time, it sounds to me like this would be true for everything. So you you guys tell me. Like I don't think game development is about having like good ideas. This is what I think a lot of people just kind of like repeat and say on that I hear. You know, I have this good idea for a game. It's a game about that this 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 and this and this. Bam, and that's not it. You know, game development is about making things work, right? That's that's what it is. That's what you're doing every day, trying to just make it work, make it work with what you have, with the time you have, with the people that you have, trying to reach that goal, adapt, edit, and just having something that works. It's It sounds really stupid because it is, but at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. It doesn't sound stupid at all, and that that resonates with me as a football fan. Um, the New England Patriots have a have a a team 
slogan and it's just do your job. And over the last 15 years, 20 years, they have been the dominant team in the NFL with a, a constantly changing roster of people and almost never with the exception of possibly one position, almost never the best in any spot, but their coach or the producer uh, in game <laughs> terms is so good at his job and so good at making sure he puts people in areas where they will succeed. So he identifies you are good at this. So this is the job you're going to do. Um, and it helps them to be successful. So I, I think, um, I do think it's important to have uh, strong personnel working for you, but I think it's probably more important to identify your individual team's strengths and weaknesses and and work to them. So if I know that Rob is exceptionally good at uh, concept art for um, monsters, I'm going to put him on that as opposed to making him design something he's not as comfortable with or not as good nice. at. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I know that, I know that, uh, uh, Shelby I, is fantastic at animating uh, uh, 3D characters or whatever. You know, if if you identify the the individual's uh, strengths and put them in positions where they're working towards their strengths or working with their strengths, I think that you can have a weaker uh, individual, weaker individuals on a team, but the team itself can be stronger if the producer or the the coach and the, the football analogy uh, uses the the people appropriately. I'd put uh, Seiji on spreadsheet games. That's yeah, definitely. I'm going to put Seiji on uh, responsibility for for uh, all, all uh, pie charts, graphs, and, and beard compiling data. You know, <laughs> the fun part of games. Yeah, yeah. So when you're making a game, you have a a, a certain amount of money, time, and and people. So whomever is the best at helping translate that into a game. That would be the most important person or persons in in the game development team, and this is a really hard challenge because game development is pretty hard. I'm so like I I love that answer of the producer and and the reasons you gave and that the the guy you quoted because I wouldn't I wasn't even thinking of the producer. I was like I was on along the same lines of of Rob and thinking, well, it's got to be a programmer because you need to be able to program. Um, I mean, I think in yeah. its basic form, that is correct. But I, I, I <laughs> yeah, I do like the. Uh, I, I at first I was like, eh, yeah, I guess so. But after hearing that, like, and I started thinking and reflecting uh, on other on, on past success and failures as a whole, and uh, yeah, a good producer and creative directors and stuff can make a big difference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in a total surprise to nobody, Sagey swayed all of us. Programmers, <laughs> 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 you still can't have a game without a programmer. A here's, a, here's a little fun counterpoint, though. Sometimes we've had game jams in the past, uh, which is basically like you have two days to make a game. No one wanted to bring the producers onto their team. Because... <laughs> wow, 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 wow. It's true. It's very true. <laughs> I, I believe it. Uh, be, be, because, again, as your, as your team size becomes smaller and smaller and smaller the people is going to be more important what, what do you want in your team you want a programmer right <laughs> yeah. you can have two right. better right and you, you, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. want artists and that's it you can make a game right our teams are oh, usually yeah. uh one or two programmers and three artists for our yeah. jams and we won one of them that so just say it <laughs> that makes nice. perfect sense yeah yeah uh I, but but yeah. but yeah but it is a greater whole though a good producer and, and good leadership can definitely make or break a game 
but you gotta wear like hats. If your team is one artist and one and one programmer, I mean, both of them are gonna have to produce themselves, right? Gonna, yeah, of course. You're yeah. gonna have mm -hmm. to like organize the work. You can't just go and, and be an artist all day. You have to, at some point, you know, you got your tickets and you have your tasks and you have your time management yeah. and you know, that, that kind of thing. Sometimes it's not, a, it's not even a producer. Sometimes it's just like a senior artist or a senior programmer. But I mean, the role, not the, it, maybe it's not a person per se, right? That with, with the title of producer might be someone that is doing all these things. In all actuality, though, everybody's important in making it. Every position is important. For sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, from, from concept, the great amazing concept artists all the way down to the uh, piddly QA like left. Ouch. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow, I, wow. I can't put myself up if I don't put someone else down, right? <laughs> but that's not, listen, it's not, not true. I was, it was, a, I was hoping it was a, obviously a joke. I know <laughs> he's exceptionally know. important. He's, he's yeah. already texted me three times saying how upset he is. <laughs> There's no way. Left <laughs> and I played War of Warcraft together. We're friends. Oh, now. oh okay, cool. All right. Yeah. He's my new rub. Eh. <laughs> that's a pretty decent replacement <laughs> yeah um so he has one more question and then we'll, we'll wrap everything up with the final fun question Let's he wants to know what shit. the most tedious part of your day-to-day -day is um time management so, uh, tracking tickets time... logging hours all that shit i don't want to do any of it just let me draw right okay so you, yeah the administrative paperwork yeah i hate that shit but i do have to do it so uh but it's begrudgingly all right left what about you um, from, from my perspective and, and like what I do and like, so quick, quick background. I don't know if I, if I said this much, but like, I, like I work for a, like a testing company that also has a game studio in it. So we are contracted by, you know, game developers a lot of the time to test their stuff. Um, so we're not like testing people's games who are, you know, sitting next to us. I'm, I'm testing people's games who are sometimes in Asia um, so the, the most, you know, annoying, frustrating part is, was that the question? Is that what it was, right? Yeah, oh, the tedious. Yeah. Frustrating, yeah tedious, good, close yeah. enough is yeah. it's sometimes <laughs> having to deal with, with devs who you don't really have a great rapport with cause you don't really know them. And sometimes you're just dealing with an email communications that, you know, you send once a day, um, because there's literally like a 12 hour difference between us. Um, so that, to, to me, that's, you know, from, from what I've been doing, that's one of the more, you know, tedious things I have to deal with where it's just like, okay, we need this new build, but there's no way we're getting that build because it's four o'clock in the morning right now for dev. Um, so it's that for me and like my circumstances, that would be it. Um, not that they're like eight people or anything. It's just having to deal with, you know, the globalization of, of how it is, all is, is, is sometimes, you know, can slow things down drastically. That sounds like a lot of hurry up and wait. We have that a lot in the name. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do have to do that. Hurry up. And yeah, it's and the, it, it, we struggle too dealing with time zones and stuff like that. So it can be frustrating. Um, so I definitely feel you there. Uh, Why don't you just change the computer's time and date to match <laughs> the one that you're? Boom. Well, we actually you just solve that. We, we we operate on Zulu time, which is uh, oh. Um, Some made up GMT. No, it's, it's, just, it's just GMT. But yeah. uh, you know, uh, for Zulu is still midnight in Japan. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not like they're awake. Uh, well, if they would switch their clocks around too, we wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Hey, G, uh, we're gonna move on to you before Rob uh, asks any more questions. Yeah. Same as Rob is the. You know, 
The paperwork? All the paperwork. Um, you don't have like some automated system that automatically does all yours for you built already? <laughs> oh, that, no, but that, there's a lot of like sending emails and meetings. It's j Ugh. just about like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to do today, tomorrow. What are we doing? Stuff like that. Like just reporting status of stuff. But again, like that is not what you're trained to do. But that's something right. that you have to do in order yeah. for everything to work out. So, and that is why it's so important because nobody really likes it. You know, it's like you just want to do what you do. But you people, people spend... are passionate about yeah. giving reports of how their game's been going so far. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. Uh, and I, I can answer for Shelby. The most tedious part of her day is having to talk me across the bridge uh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> every day. Not every day. I, I cycle through. I have a number of people that I call. But uh, I, I I walk by Shelby in her little talk hall a lot, and then she's always on the phone. I'm like, "Is that Sean?" And she's like, "Yeah, hey, how's it going?" And she's like, "Left us high." Yeah, that's it. Uh, I probably I would say two or three times a week I call Shelby because uh, she always answers. Um, yeah, yeah, and Mrs. Q Dog answers quite often. Musty Hobbit answers almost all every time. Uh, Travis no. is infrequent, but it's because he's super busy. And Eric has told me he will not answer. Uh, not to call him. You never, fucking, you never called me. I don't call you because I don't think you would answer, Rob. There's a there's a and, chance of the answer. And I, I across the bridge. Uh, it changes every day. Uh, it's usually between one and three. Oh, um, in the afternoon. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I uh, I so yeah, these people are all all at work when I call them. Uh, and I, I I always feel like you work at a place that would be more restrictive on you just. Taking a oh, personal God, phone call. No. Oh man, <laughs> not even my head. Bit. Yeah. Now that we're done with my neuroses, uh, we have one last <laughs> one last question, uh, and this is from Derek at Deej thirteen on Deej. Twitter, and he is the co-host of the digital nope of the Two Dorks uh, uh, gaming podcast. They're not gaming. Uh, Thrifty Dorks. No, that's him and his wife. Oh my God. Two Dorks is him and Chris Roberts. Um, he's in a lot of things. Uh, he also flies drones. Popular guy. Oh, cool. Um, and the organizer of the Cartridge Club Extra Life live stream event, it which rocks. happened probably, if you're listening to this, it's either happening the weekend coming up or happened the weekend you just missed. Um, anyway, he wants to know that yeah. uh, considering the BB crew covers most parts of a development team, uh, and based on the absolute basic, we know we have programmers and <laughs> we artists. We don't have a programmer. <laughs> oh, we, I kind of. I consider Seiji is part robot, therefore he is a programmer. Yeah, he is a programmer. <laughs> uh, so if you were given the chance... What kind of game would the BB crew make together? Uh, and that's, he wants you to ignore any anti-competitive agreements that you may have in your current work contracts. Um, so yeah, what would you, what type of game would the BB crew make and which roles would each of you take? I mean, if we were smart, we would have prepared this answer in advance, but we didn't. So now we have to hope that we agree on the fly. <laughs> it's a game jam. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd want to make a visual novel. Yeah, uh, just to see Seiji work on one of those, uh, or or side scrolling game. Those are the games I like the most. Well, I don't like visual novels, <laughs> but I like making them because most of my game jams are visual novels, <laughs> uh, which go which go to some pretty absurd areas. Uh, anyways, I don't know. I, I we'd have to, we'd have to plan this if we we're really gonna make one. But what, what, I guess just name your favorite thing that you'd want to do, and maybe it'll overlap. So I'm gonna go with 2D side-scrolling 
I mean, in, in terms of like what would be the most practical, like if we were to actually do that, um, I agree completely with Rob that it would be a 2D side scroller or an amazing bonus barrel visual novel. Jesus, that'd be where you, especially if you could date like the bonus barrel people, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, oh, right? man. You're an yes. anonymous fan. You're an anonymous fan. You get to name your character. So you you can be a boy or a girl. We're, we're not going to restrict you like most visual novels do. And then you have different paths where you can meet one of the uh, BB people. And maybe it could be a metaphor for that part of the game industry, too. So <laughs> you learn about concept art and other parts of art from me and Shelby and then from left side. And then and then just to make it fair, like, we don't have the options all to be guys and one girl. So we can do, like, women versions of each of us. <laughs> So that you can, you know, so Rob and Robin, Sean and Shauna, Shelby Ron, and I am, Simon. I um, wouldn't be part of this, but yes, that does Lef sound and Lucy, like a... <laughs> uh, Sagey and uh, uh, Selma. Henrietta. <laughs> but yeah, th th those, those are the two things that first came to my mind. Yes. Because it, it, just, it just seems like, because I don't know, if we were to actually try to do something, those seem more reasonable requests but if we had this like you know a budget of billions of dollars and we could just you know in this hypothetical question you know god i don't know what we would do and start hiring other people to fill out all <laughs> billions of dollars you could do uh like a total war game based on an island nation i would never be able to get rob excited about that I'll throw problem. some monsters in there and then I yeah it's, it's Man, fighting monsters yeah just don't make it I mean, on I history. Mean, but like I, I i would have liked to have said like some sort of tactics based rp yeah those that's, are fun that's that's my thing but um i i think to if we would try to like be a, a good collective and, and come to a consensus i think a 2d side scroller would probably be like the real game but we would just have a lot of fun doing the bonus barrel uh, visual novel would you play the bonus barrel dating sim on your uh, valentine's day next valentine's day episode <laughs> if it existed i sure would you know you should be excited sean because you're gonna be playing one of those this year uh, uh so sagey which <laughs> uh, are you are you down for the bonus barrel dating sim sure yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> ever since I, I i started making games um I was at school, I think, still when I I had this idea for a game. It's a it's like a puzzle platformer game that I I I've been wanting to make for for years now, and I've started it a, a few times. And every time I'm like, oh no, this is not the right way to do it. Um, but I do have like story written, and I have characters, and I have some tools, and yeah. Yeah, I, that that's the kind of game that I would like to do. It's a it's a two D puzzle platformer game that I have in mind. That I, I want to do it. I should do it. I always feel very guilty and bad of not completing this. But anyway, yeah. Well, now I want to see this two D puzzle platformer. That's can we hire Rob and Left and Shelby or? <laughs> I can't hire them, but, but you know, if we do a military game, we could use uh, P one as a consultant. And then, uh -huh. that way he's still part of it. <laughs> yeah, that would not be very successful. <laughs> uh, I'll just wait till you pick your game, and then I'll be the producer, and I'll tell you. Uh, what you know. <laughs> Anybody can be a producer. It's easy. <laughs> That's right. This is a game jam. Nobody wants me on the team. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, there we go. 
Yeah, I think I, I don't know. I think a bonus barrel dating sim in my head that seems like it would be easier to make because you just got to draw a bunch of pictures and have like selections. You could really do that in Excel, couldn't you? Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. I've having, learned nothing from the last uh, two episodes. Having made two success, <laughs> I'm going to say successful because in <laughs> friends, successful and award winning. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I would. They're not hard to make because you can basically uh, for Unity. Uh, our, we do a programmer, and he is really good. But he, we started things off by getting a. Uh, there was like a package that has like um, an engine for creating VNs. So it's actually really not that hard. So you could do most of it just with a good writer and good artist, and then a, a programmer to supplement everything. And uh, yeah, but we would do other things too. Like our VNs would have either our first one had a shitty puzzle game, and our second one had a relatively decent action RPG element to it. And um, yeah, so you could you could do a lot you could do a lot of stuff with a small team for VN. So I, our most success would be a tongue in cheek uh, VN. Cool. I'd be so hot in anime style. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. So I want to thank uh, all of you and Shelby who's not here. I uh, feel better um, for the last two episodes. It's been a lot of fun for me to ask questions because um, there's just a lot I don't know and a lot I want to know. And I'm so curious about in this uh, this hobby of mine that I love. As well, obviously, the, people, the listeners have questions. I forget that people are interested in, in this stuff. Yeah. Like, it, uh, like, it, eh, like, what do you really want to hear us talk about this shit for an hour? But apparently... 100%. I would... If, if every episode was just you guys talking about uh, some aspect of your day developing a game, uh, I would tune in. I, it is the, my, most, my most enjoyed episodes of Bonus Barrel are the ones when you guys talk about the things that you are passionate about and that you do on a regular basis and that you're good at. Um, I enjoy it the most. I imagine it would be uh, what people would think if they listened to me do a podcast on napping and walking my dog. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's Um, wrap this shit up. Yeah, so thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you to the listeners for sending your questions in. If you have any more questions or if you have anything you'd like to add, uh, please do so on the Cartridge Club Discord. Uh, you can uh, access that by going to Cartridge Club uh, at Cartridge Club NA on Twitter, and the links are there. And uh, yeah, when we, as soon as we get some more questions built up, we'll maybe see if I can talk these guys into do another one. And also, I'd like for everyone who's listening to give a big round of applause for the triumphant return of Left to the main cast. I mean, uh, hopefully. Oh, oh, yeah, let's, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Two in a row is like, we're, let's just be happy with this. <laughs> I'm hope I'm trying to get that peer pressure, right? I mean, I want, I want more left. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sean, you pe- you are a great addition to the show as a producer because you're really good at you know <laughs> all that stuff. And so, go ahead and do the outro, man. Uh, right on. So, uh, if you listen to Bonus Barrel on iTunes, please give it a five star review and tell two friends. It really helps the show get noticed by others. And uh, tune in every week when you get another uh, episode uh, to uh, to find out uh, what's going on in the lives of the cast. I am Sean. This is Rob, Left, and Seiji. Peace. Bye.